morning. One of the coolest things I got to do uh, in my three years that I was gone to Pittsburgh was work and serve at a church plant on the south side. Some of you have heard me talk about it. And one of the things that we did, one of the outreach projects that we did turned into an art exhibit, and it was titled, Hear Me, Hear Me. And every Friday for about a year, several of us with cameras around our necks would go down onto the south side of Pittsburgh, which is famous for its bars, its tattoos, studios. You can't say tattoo parlors anymore. You have to say studios. And it's um, and other uh, sundry uh, businesses. And we would meet people and ask if we could pray for them. And then secondarily, if we noticed they had body art, and people are pretty forthcoming with their body art if you don't know that. They'll show you probably more than you, you bargained for. But anyway, we asked people if we could uh, take a picture and then hear the story. Hear me, that was the name of it. And so we'd get this photograph and we'd get the story and we sealed them in glass and we hung them on chicken wire in a large abandoned warehouse that had turned into a coffee shop. And so it was this elegant display of photographs and stories. A neat thing happened. Not only the folks who had their tattoo exhibited came and brought their friends, you know, pointing, look, that's my Virgin Mary, that's my, you know, chain link fence, whatever people had on their arms, uh, and other places. But the artists, the, uh, the artists came too, the people that had done the art. They found out about it, and so they came. And the exhibit's gotten very popular. You can go to southsideanglican.org if you're so inclined, and you can see the art exhibit. It's gone to New York and now in Florida. So it's, it's really a, a cool exhibit. We did it because we believe that the Bible has a narrative. And the narrative of the Bible, if you don't know it, is simply creation, fall, redemption, new creation. That's the narrative story of the Bible. Creation, Garden of Eden, fall, sin enters the world, redemption, Jesus comes, new creation, he will come again. And so what we wanted people to realize as they would tell us their stories is that our personal stories have the same outline or the same graph, if you will. If you've ever done this, do your spiritual autobiography at uh, Kairos, for instance. One of the things we do before we go in is we all do our spiritual autobiographies. And what you graph out are times when you're close to the Lord or times when you feel distant or dry. And so that's, that's your uh, narrative of your life. It becomes your, your narrative, if you will. Creation, fall, redemption, new creation. So this morning in Romans, I believe what Paul is trying to get at especially given what Tyler preached last week. If you remember the beginning of Romans last week, chapter 8, Paul says these wonderful words, which are good news. Therefore, there is no longer condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. We are no longer condemned if we are in Christ. Joined to him in his death, joined to him in his resurrection, therefore, no longer condemnation. And what Paul is trying to say in the chapter's end, the part that I'm going to talk about this morning, is... Since there is no condemnation, folks, are you living into this? Or are you living in the fallen part of your narrative? If our lives have the same shape as the Bible, creation, fall, redemption, new creation, where are you living, Paul is saying? Are you living in the fall still, or are you living in redemption? It's, a, it's an interesting thing to think about, where, where, where are we living? I don't think a lot of us weekly or daily consider that. I would probably put it this way. Do we as believers at St. Paul's Church live into these redeemed lives, or do we live in the Spirit, as Paul says, or do we regularly reject the ways of the flesh, which is another part of what we heard this morning in Romans. Living in the Spirit means rejecting the flesh. Now, Gary Beeson's got a little spin on this. 
I'm going to borrow something from John the Baptist. I'd put it this way. Have we or do we daily metanoia? Or are we daily metanoying? I don't even think those are proper uh, conjugations of that. Uh, metanoia. Metanoia. Meta is where we get the, it's the Greek word we get change. And noia is mind. Change mind. Do we daily allow our minds to be changed by the Spirit? Are we daily metanoying? I, I don't think I am. I, certainly not enough if I do at all. Paul wants us to know that in this new mind, in this, in this life in the Spirit, what we have to remember is the hope of eternity. And he reminds us in the reading this morning that Jesus is going to come back one day and recreate this world. He's not going to destroy it. He's going to recreate it. And Paul says the whole creation's waiting with humankind. The creation which can't speak is groaning, Paul says, in verses 22 and 23. So he wants his readers, he wants the people that he's writing this letter to, to begin to look around and to begin to understand what's happening in their lives. You see, this church in Rome, it's a unique letter that Paul writes. I'm going to give you a little seminary right now. This is a church that Paul didn't establish or found, unlike the other letters that Paul writes to churches in the New Testament. This is not one that Paul founded, and this is not one he's visited yet. And so Paul usually is a little tough, a little ham-fisted, some might say, with his letters to these churches. Do this, don't do that. Think this way, don't think that way. Well, that's not what Paul does in Romans. What Paul's dealing with in Romans is a divided church. There were a group of Jewish Christians in Rome who were kicked out by Emperor Claudius. Nero comes to power after Claudius and invites the Jewish Christians back. And so now you've got a church with Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians sitting in it, and there's problems. There's all kinds of problems. And Paul's trying to write a gentle, encouraging letter to say, listen, you guys, like he says in Galatians, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. You are all one. You're unified in the Spirit, and you're not condemned. So grab that. I think Paul's saying, listen, live into your redeemed life. Quit living in your fallen life. So look with me, if you will, just for a moment. I'm going to pick out just a couple verses in the reading from Romans, and then I'm going to land this plane. I'll get to the end here. But it's on page 800 in our Bibles. It's Romans chapter 8 again, verses 12 through 25. And like I said, mercifully, I won't go line by line. But there are a couple things that I want you to recognize in this before I get to my conclusion. Uh, verses 12 and 13 say, So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I want you to try to remember Jesus speaking in the Gospel of John. And in chapter 15 of the Gospel of John, Jesus makes an important point and connection for his disciples. The Spirit is the truth, Jesus says. The Spirit is the truth, my friends, he says. So, I believe what Paul is saying is, live by a new truth in your life. You Roman church, you people gathered this morning at St. Paul's, live by a new truth. Have your mind changed to the new truth about life. Karl Barth said, if we live by the Spirit, um, then we can't be naively satisfied with the possibilities of this world. In other words, if things of this world are bothering you, if there are things that you see and things that you read and hear and they chafe you, that's probably a good thing. That's probably a good thing. Paul says that when we live in this new life, we'll have peace. He actually ends the letter with that. 
And again, I wish I could say that I had this peace all the time, but I remember once expressing it. I was at lunch uh, with my mentor. We have mentored ministry in school, and so you meet weekly. And we were at lunch in a nice restaurant, and I was enjoying a beer and a sandwich. And um, he asked me, so Gary, how's it going? And my mom was just months from dying at this point. This was back a year ago, a year and a half ago. And we were living with the tension of being in Pittsburgh and not knowing where we were going to go next. We felt called to stay there, we thought. We felt called to come back to the low country. So there was conflict in my life. It wasn't like I was sitting there just in this perfect free place, and neither had I had more than one more beer. And so he said, well, Gary, how's it going? And I looked at Sean, and I said, you know, I, I, I don't know why, but I, I think I'm at peace. And he said, really? I said, yeah, I think I'm where I'm supposed to be right now, and nothing else matters. I know there's plenty to do in the future. I know I've got things in the past that are still clinging to me. But I think, Sean, right now for this moment, I, I'm where I'm supposed to be. It was a lovely feeling. I, I wish I could have it all the time. I don't have it all the time. But that's what Paul is talking about in the future one day we will have. No longer at odds with God, we'll dwell in his presence forever as adopted sons and daughters, and we'll have that peace that passes all understanding. I want to make a point about adoption and what it means for adoption and what sonship and daughtership mean. In verse 15, he says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Verse 17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So certainly, this joining together with Jesus is going to require some suffering. It's just part of the job description. We get all the rights and privileges of Jesus in his death, life, death, and resurrection, and we inherit his suffering, and ultimately will inherit his glorification. It's a truth um, that has been hidden, and it's being revealed, Paul says. It's, I was thinking about a time when my wife first told me that we were expecting our first child, and it, that was a truth. And she came back from the physician, and she said, you're not going to believe this. I'm pregnant. And in that moment, my whole life changed. A minute before, I was a married man, but not a father. And at that moment, I became a father. And so I, she and I shared this truth. Well, my mother didn't know yet. Her parents didn't know yet. But the truth was still there. This existent truth was still there. And so one by one, as we called our parents, we began to unveil this truth to them. And that's what Paul is saying about this adoption that we've got. We are clearly adopted, and one day, in glory, we will be fully sons and daughters. It's a truth. You can count on it. It also reminds me of a testimony I heard Lisa and Mark Greenslip give at Canuga a couple weeks ago. And they talked about adopting their first child, their first adopted child, Faya. They went to Russia knowing that it might take two trips to bring her home. And they went the first time and spent a day and a half getting to her orphanage in Siberia. And they got to meet her the second day. And they met this beautiful little frail five-year-old girl. And she ran toward them and called them Mama and Papa. And they gave her gifts that they brought and kissed her and spent most of the afternoon with her and said goodbye and came back the next day. At the end of that second day, they had to leave the orphanage and start the process of adoption in Russia, which took them another 15 days, at which point their visa expired and they had to come back to the United States. For the moment that they peered at that little girl, she was their adopted daughter, no doubt, right? But 
It wasn't until they came back the second time, some two months later, and were able to physically put their hands on her and take her out of that orphanage and into the Greenslit home that she was received fully into their family. And that's what Paul is saying. We've been adopted and we're going to be received one day fully in this sonship and this daughtership. And it's not just us that's going to be redeemed. It's not just us. The whole creation fell. When humankind fell, the whole creation fell. And now, as Paul says, and I alluded to earlier, the whole creation is groaning with, with pains of childbirth until Jesus comes again. So we live in that in-between time. The Roman church lived in that in-between time, the very early stages of the in-between time, but in that in-between time. And I want to I just end with a thought about living in this in-between time and living in the redeemed, not the fallen part of our spiritual narrative. Because in this in-between time, as Paul tells us, we can be certain of a few things. We can be as certain that we're adopted sons and daughters, those that believe and follow Christ. Uh, we can be certain that we're not alone living in these in-between times. We're being led by Jesus' own spirit. We're no longer led by the flesh. So we're no longer in bondage to flesh in this world. We're not in bondage to the clock, although it feels like it sometimes. We're not in bondage to our jobs, although it feels like it sometimes. And we can be certain about our promised hope of glory, that one day fully received, fully restored sons and daughters in our resurrected bodies. So we wait patiently and we look for the kingdom to break in. We, look, we expect it. This should cause us to live differently. I told Sue at Canuga, I said, I think I've come up with the, with the um, mission statement for St. Timothy's Church, the church that St. Paul's is going to plant. I looked at her and I said, St. Timothy's Church, we want to be different. And she looked at me and shook her head and said, no, 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 try again, try again. <laughs> and I left that service when I brought it up a month ago, and a, a woman came up to me after the service and she said, yeah, that probably isn't the right mission statement, but how about this? St. Timothy's Church, different to make a difference. I went, ah, that's catchy. Sue kind of nodded a small measure of approval at that, so maybe on bumper stickers and t-shirts soon you'll, no, I'm kidding, you're not going to see anything. But different, with this, this knowledge, the knowledge of this truth that's been revealed to us should shape our lives and cause us to live differently. And I'm going to tell you what it looks like, what this new life should look like. It looks and sounds an awful lot like Jesus. It looks and sounds an awful lot like Jesus. This is the way one author I read this week put it. Jesus Christ was a man unashamedly attached to those he met. Jesus was unashamedly attached to everyone he met. A man, this is my favorite, who behaved as though death was not natural. Death was not natural. Do you know that? We were not intended to die. Death drove Jesus to tears. He saw his friend Lazarus dead. He couldn't stand that death had taken his friend. The little girl that he raises from the dead. Jesus, Jesus is no friend of death because it's not the intended way of his father. He walked around as though everything was broken and that the sane response was to snort and weep. I don't know if I completely agree with the last part, but um, he did walk around as if things were broken. He, he, when he encountered disease, he healed it, even when he didn't know he was healing it. When the woman with the issue of blood touched him, he healed it. So disease, war, poverty, death, these things bothered Jesus. They should bother us. Not in a hopeless way, not walking around wagging our heads all day long saying, oh, this is terrible. This... No, not at all. Certain of our hope, certain of the future, 
And we should respond in a way that says, I don't believe this will be the truth forever. That when we encounter somebody with cancer, when we encounter a loved one who's been divided from our families, we need to cling to the hope that this will not be true forever. It's what we see and experience today, but it's not what God intended, and it won't last forever. And that's life-changing thinking. That's having our minds changed, or that's metanoying, if you will. That's allowing the Spirit to change our minds and to change our hearts. And it really and truly means living into the redeemed part of your narrative. Creation, you were born. Fall, sin entered into our lives. Redemption, Christ came into our lives. New creation, Christ will come again. Paul is saying, and I'm telling you this morning, telling myself to hear it again, we need to live into the redeemed promises in our lives. Amen? Amen. Let us stand together now and open our prayer book to page 358 and profess our faith in the words of the 